In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, one of the most heart-wrenching things that happened to a man is losing his young wife to death. Becoming a widower, but also being left alone to a father, a baby, compounds the heartache. It's something that happened to Theodore Roosevelt, and also to my guest today on the show. His name is Danielle Bolelli. He's a professor of history, host of the podcast History on Fire and the Drunken Taoist, an amateur mixed martial artist, and the author of several books, including Not Afraid and On the Warrior's Path. Today on the show, Daniel and I discuss why a bookworm like him started fighting, how combat sport fighting grounds us in reality, and the forgotten philosophy of Bruce Lee. We then talk about his experience losing his wife to an aggressive brain tumor, what it was like raising a child by himself, and how martial arts and Theodore Roosevelt provided him strength and inspiration during a harrowing time in his life. After the show's over, make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash notafraid, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Daniel Bellelli, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so you've written several books um, we're going to talk about today, On the Warrior's Path, Not Afraid. You also have a podcast called The Drunken Taoist, um, and we can talk about that if you'd like to. But you have a, a really interesting background. You're a college professor, but you also take part in mixed martial arts. We've had a guy like you on before, um, Jonathan Gottschall, who wrote a book called... Uh, you know, uh, professor in the cage. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, you, you egghead types, professor types who also punch people in the face. Um, I mean, what got you started with martial arts and, um, I mean, why did you start, why did you decide that's something you had to do? I think for me, it's a matter of balance is precisely because I spent so much time in my head and I grew up reading a lot and being a bit nerdy. It was important to develop another side to my personality, a living stereotype. You are the nerdy guy who is maybe sensitive and smart, but you are completely divorced from physical reality and you are just a dream. And that did not really appeal to me that much. I'm, I'm interested in figuring out how to combine the best of different worlds. So to me, it's having to choose between being uh, strong and being intellectually driven is a bad choice. Why not both? Uh, and that applies to everything. Why should you have to be just, uh, you know, we have the stereotype. If you are a sensitive person, then you can't be tough and assertive. If you are tough, you're supposed to have no feelings. Um, I kind of don't buy in these dichotomies. I feel that you become a greater, more interesting human being. You get to touch life more if you experience it in all sorts of different ways. So for me, martial arts was about balance. Was I was too... 
a bit too scared of conflict. I was too easily intimidated by stuff like that. And so that's where I realized, okay, that's a huge weakness. I need to work on it. So just dive right in. And I started with more mellow martial arts and I realized, yeah, this is not doing it for me. I mean, it's fun, it's good, but I need to do something that's scary. I need to do combat sports in the harshest possible way. That would get me scared and that would get me to work on that side of me. Right. So what kind of like martial arts did you start off with? So was it like Tai Chi? I mean, what were you doing? Yeah, yeah. I started with uh, kind of the more Tai Chi type of thing. Uh, started then with Chinese martial arts, other Chinese martial arts. And then over time, I started drifting more and more toward uh, boxing, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, wrestling, MMA, that kind of thing. Um, and your your professor background, what's your area of focus as a, a college professor? I'm, I teach history. Primarily, I kind of all over the place because to be honest, I have a lot more fun when I get to play with different topics. But the primary ones that I teach are uh, U.S. history, American Indian history, and history of religions. Very cool. All right, so let's talk about more about fighting. So you you talked about, I mean, it seems like you were uh, your natural inclination is to be not assertive, sort of the easygoing, passive, just go with the flow kind of guy, um, and and combat sports is a way to help you be more assertive and be more, uh, take a more aggressive approach towards life. And aggressive, I mean, you know, not sort of like you're being a jerk, but like you're just being more, um, what's the word, proactive towards life. Um, besides that area of your life, how has combat fighting helped you become a better man? I think one of the big things for me is that when you fight, you are going to get kicked inevitably. It doesn't even matter how good you get. There's always going to be somebody better than you on any given day. You know, take the best fighter in the world. You are still going to see them getting smashed on some days. And to me, learning how to deal with things not going your way, learning. I mean, we all love martial arts when things are going our way, right? Everybody likes martial arts with that sense of empowerment where you pull off amazing moves, uh, some hot women stand on the side looking at you saying, oh, he's so manly and so great. We got off on that stuff. But we, the part that's less glamorous is when you're getting your ass kicked, when there's some, some other man is literally physically dominating you and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And in those moments, the, the one thing you want is to get out. You know, you want like, this, this sucks. This is not what I signed up for. This is not fun. Let me check out. But the problem is it doesn't work. I mean, yeah, sure, you can leave and never come back. But if you decide to stay, that does some interesting thing to your psychology because what happens is you'll, um, you'll have to fight through it in a fight that's basically hopeless, where you know you're not going to win. This guy has your number, is better than you. There's really not a whole lot you can do. And to develop the mental fortitude to stay in a hopeless fight, to give it your best, to regardless of outcome, that that develops a whole other side of the personality that's independent to how good of a fighter you become. You just become a tough human being. You become really resilient. I want to go back to something you said earlier in your introduction, like one of the reasons why you started uh, doing martial arts, particularly combat sports, was is a way for you to connect yourself back to reality. Um, and you were saying, yeah, as a professor, you lived in your head a lot lived in the world of ideas. But I, I mean, do you think that's a problem, not just for professor types, but for everyone living in our modern age? 
I think is we are so disconnected from physical reality most of the time. Really, and I, I mean, I'm not saying like it's a bad. You know, there are some advantages to being able to. Uh, you know, modern technologies clearly open up some awesome opportunities. So I'm not knocking them down like we should go back to the good old days. But at the same time, we are losing something. And so my approach is how can we keep the best of uh, an older way of life while at the same time embracing what technology has to offer? If you sit at your desk eight hours a day and then you go home and watch TV and check computer, you know, we're spending all our time with our body doing nothing. That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing health-wise, but also it's not a good thing in terms of your mental development as a human being. We are not built to, to do that. We need to have uh, to live in a healthy, strong, vibrant body that knows what it means to be on the run, to be active, to feel this kind of vitality flow through it. Right. I've noticed in my own life is what I love about doing stuff like actual physical things with my body um, is that you experience and encounter all these frustrations because the world, unlike the digital world where you can kind of shape it the way you want, you can listen to the news that you want, you can block the people you don't want to hear on Twitter. Like you can't do that in physical reality. Like whatever frustration is there, you have to deal with it. And I've actually noticed my own life having to deal with those frustrations dealing with those obstacles actually makes me happier. Like I'm, it's, it's not pleasant at the, you know, when I'm doing it, but at the end I'm like, boy, that felt kind of good having to deal with that. Absolutely. Sometimes it's a fine balance between clearly looking for a life that's somewhat more pleasant and easier. But at the same time, when it gets too easy, you're, it's self-sabotage because then you don't build the strength that you will need in a bunch of aspects of life. Right, and I guess combat sports is sort of, I mean, that it takes that idea of physical reality not going the way, according to your plans, and just amplifies it. Yeah, and also because, I mean, there's that for sure, dealing with obstacles. And in that case, it's dealing with obstacles that kick in an emotional response because most people will be somewhat scared by the idea of somebody who has been training for years to knock your head into the third row coming after you. It will not just be a, oh, here is an obstacle, but it will be a fear-inducing obstacle, one that forces you to deal with your emotions in a way that most people don't. So you are saying earlier how one of the things that fighting does is it it forces you to be resilient, right? Like, or, you know, keep going even in a hopeless situation when you know you're going to lose. Um, did Is there like a moment in your martial arts career where you experienced that firsthand that like you remember like I th- there's a battle, a fight you knew like I am not going to win this, but I have to keep going? Yeah, there are at least a couple that I remember because they are the exact opposite of one another. I remember once when, um, you know, I start off, I'm doing okay, I'm try my stuff and it's not working and suddenly my plan A didn't pan out and I just cracked halfway. I just gave up for no good reason. You know, I just felt like I want to check out of here. This doesn't feel good. Things are not going my way. I'm probably going to get my ass kicked. I'm out of here. And of course, the moment I did it, I just look at myself and I was like, what kind of a person are you? Really? That's where it's at? That, you know, things don't go your way and you quit? I was so disgusted with myself and, you know, I didn't think that I would be like that and finding out that I had that in me did not make me too happy. So I think a couple of fights later, I was in this 
brutal grind in battle where it was 50-50 and I just had nothing left after a couple of rounds. I was just so dead. And in me, suddenly, you know, that same instinct kicked in, right? It's like, okay, you did it your all. You tried hard. You gave it your best. You have nothing left. What's the point? Just check out. And that's when kind of the memory of doing that the previous time and how horrible I felt about myself in doing that kicked in. I even had a mental image of going back home and telling my wife, oh, no, things didn't work out. It's like, why? What happened? Why did you lose? And imagining saying, oh, because, you know, I got tired and I didn't feel like it anymore, so I quit. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to die right now. If, if that's what it takes during this round, I will die here, but I'm not quitting. This is just not something that I can live with. And it was funny because I had no physical energy left, so I did a round of just pure willpower and nothing else. Although enough, I even ended up winning the fight, but that's kind of beside the point. That's not even the important part. The important part was that that moment when I made that decision of this is do or die. I don't care about consequences. I don't care about outcomes. You are not quitting. That did more for my self-esteem than 10,000 other things I've done in life. One of your books that I really enjoyed was On the Warrior's Path, where you you know, you sort of, you talk about your approach to martial arts and give uh, give a history of martial arts and a description of the various martial arts that are out there. But this one section really struck out to me the most was you talk about how there's a need for both men and women uh, to combine the warrior and the princess in their lives. Uh, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know how in all the classic fairy tales you have the brave warrior who goes to rescue the princess from the evil dragon kind of thing. To me, that those are metaphors for energies that are inside all of us. You know, the, the dragon represents all the obstacles that stand in our way. The princess represents the kind of feminine nurturing quality that are ultimately the ones that make life good, that make you be kind to your kids, that make you be a sweet person with other human beings, and kind of that softer but sweet aspect of that we all have to some degree. And the warrior side is the determined, tough, uh, uh, crash obstacles that come in your way, assertive aspects that we need. So in some way, it's kind of a representation of the Taoist yin yang, right? You have, and for reasons that escape me completely, we tend to privilege only one side. You know, if you are... Uh, if you happen to be a man, you have to be the tough guy who's, you know, develop some great qualities of strength and assertiveness, but you also are supposed to be insensitive, not feel anything, not be able to relate on an emotional level to a lot of other people. And vice versa, if you're a woman, you're supposed to be all about feelings, but if somebody goes boo, you go hide in a corner because you are fearful and you don't have that toughness. I find those to be silly stereotypes. And unfortunately, these are silly stereotypes that most people embody, that they have a very strong basis in reality. But I don't find it desirable to try to live up to those stereotypes. I think we can take the best of both worlds. You know, what's in some ways, think about even, you know, like the whole idea that women like bad boys. Why do they like bad boys? Because there's something appealing about the guy's machismo, the toughness, the assertion. All of those qualities are very attractive. But at the same time, the problem is most of these people often are assholes who are very unpleasant in other aspects of life. So you're either stuck with the cute, sweet boyfriend who's a wimp, 
or the hot one who's fiery and intense, but is kind of a jerk. Why does it have to be that way? You know, why can't you as a, develop both sides at the same time? What's wrong with being sweet and nice and being tough as hell at the same time? To me, that's much more interesting human being than either or. But so how does martial arts help you develop these two energies, as you call them, in your life? I mean, because martial arts is all about just that. It seems like it's, it puts a premium on the warrior aspect. Definitely. And I think some of it is because you gain a measure of your own skill and of of your own word. You know, you know that after you have been in a million fights, you know that you're better than a lot of people because of how hard you work at it and the results you have achieved. And you know that there's always somebody going to be better than you. So in some sense, it kind of keeps your ego in check. It prevents you from being this uh, defensive, overreactive, you know, because you have a sense of reality, you have a sense of where you stand. And as such, it allows you to relax a bit. It's, it's interesting when you see that a lot of fighters are actually really mellow, nice human beings because they got nothing to prove. Now, that's not always the case. There are people who will be great fighters and still manage to be ego-obsessed jerks, but that's not as common as one would think. Often you find some of the toughest guys are just really sweet, mellow, polite, because, because for them that's a choice. They don't have to be being sweet and mellow for them. It's not a technique that they use because they can't do anything else. They are going to use it as their path to get what they want. It's a choice because if they decide to turn it on and just get into it, they can't speak the language of violence. They can't speak the language of uh, toughness. They... So when they decide not to, it's because they can't, because they have kept their ego in check. They are more, they don't need to prove to anybody how good they are. They know how good they are. One of the things I love about your writing and your work is your appreciation for philosophy. It seems you really think hard about these things. And like a lot of great martial artists from the past, uh, you try to combine um, the spiritual with the tooth and claw nastiness of fighting. So... I'm curious, you know, which philosophers, uh, they can be, you know, Eastern, Western philosophers, have had the most influence on you and your synergy of fighting and spirituality? I think some of the key ones would be, well, of course, all Stoic philosophy here applies very well, right? I mean, uh, Stoicism seems perfectly built for this type of mindset. A lot of what we're saying in some way you can find in uh, Stoic philosophy. At the same time, I dig on the Eastern side of things. I find Taoism to be, I really love Taoism because it describes basically the way the universe works. There's not a whole lot of sentimentality about it. It just tells you these are the principles that make life click. And so I find it an excellent guide to live in that also applies to fighting, to martial arts. It applies to everything, really. It applies to life. So I find Taoism quite quite inspiring and while technically not philosophy in a strict sense since we're talking about stoicism i the 14 year old in me my uh, i can't stop enjoying all the conan the barbarian books tales the robert e howard stuff because i find it a i mean once you get past the muscles and the adventure and the boobs and all the flashy things that attract people. There's also really a master course in Stoic philosophy inside Robert E. Howard's writing. And uh, I find it 
on one end hilarious and entertaining, but also very deep at the same time. Right, yeah, Crom. Crom does not care about you. <laughs> but that's the attitude, right? It's like, yeah, doesn't care. Who knows about what the future, the afterlife, but there's here and now. You can live deep here and now. Let's do that. Let's focus on this. I love that. There's, uh, you know, focus on what you can control, on the ways in which you can here and now make life more enjoyable. And I loved how you um, you talked about Bruce Lee um, and his philosophy. Because I, I didn't, I mean, I, I've seen all the Bruce Lee flicks, but this guy who's actually very thoughtful and he kind of, he developed a philosophy towards life uh, through his development of his, this martial art that he developed. Lee was very much inspired by Taoism. I mean, when you look at a lot of his writings, it's clearly overwhelmingly comes from Taoist sources. So in that sense, he's not creating anything new, but he was brilliant because he was adapting ancient ideas that you could find in the Tao Te Ching and adapting them to life in the 20th century in the United States in a way that clicks so much easier for most people than when you're trying to read the, the original Taoist text from 2000 plus years ago. So while his work may be a bit derivative, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just a way to make those same principles come to life in a more modern context. And uh, no, so I love Bruce Lee stuff. I think he was absolutely brilliant, both in his personal philosophy, the way he applied it to the martial arts and everything else. Um, another philosopher that you see throughout your writing is uh, Nietzsche, and you actually have a, a section, a chapter in one of your books devoted to him about this idea that he had about becoming the hero hidden in your soul. Um, what what did Nietzsche mean by that, and like how have you taken that and applied it to your life? I think you know when we grow up, we all dream to be heroes. Those are the tales that will capture every kid because there's something beautiful about it. It speaks of a life lived with integrity, with honor, with somebody that other people can rely on because you are solid, you can be trusted, you have all, you have all these qualities that we all want to embody. And somewhere along the way, somehow we got convinced that that's some childish fantasy. And I think that's really dumb because yeah you're not going to be the hero in the sense that you will pick up a spear and go fight a dragon that's probably not going to happen but what's going to happen is that's just a metaphor that's just an image for the kind of struggle that we all fight every day with our own weaknesses with our own inner demons with all the crap that life dishes our way that's going to that's trying to crush our spirit that kind of battle is one that we all wage every single day And so in that sense, nurturing those heroic qualities, nurturing that kind of image of who you want to be, I think is key. I think is what every single human being should be doing all of the time. And in that regard, I love Nietzsche's philosophy because while he himself was struggling, you know, he was growing, he lived in the Germany of the late 1800s, he dealt with a ton of physical issues, He, he had a lot of heavy crap weighing him down. But at the same time, there are moments there in his books that are just these flashes of beauty and intensity pointing to these key values that to me are what make life interesting. So I really, really dig Nietzsche a lot. Right. And it's also kind of segueing, it connects nicely with Joseph Campbell's idea of you know, the, the hero's journey. Seeing your life through this metaphor can bring a lot of significance to it. Even in the most mundane things, it can bring significance to your life. Yeah, I mean, I remember even as a, like stuff that I didn't want to do as a student when I was in college, 
I can look at it as, oh, I have a research paper to get done on Monday. I don't really feel like it. I want to do something else. Or I can look at it as this is a challenge. This is something that's trying to, like I can approach it as just a waste of time that's making me bored and I don't feel like being here. Or I can approach it as a challenge to myself and I'm going to do the best possible. I'm going to wake up give it my all, do the best possible job, and then enjoy my reward of free time when I'm done. And taking it with that attitude made the whole task so much more pleasant because this was not about writing some stupid research paper I didn't care for. This was a test of character. This was a test that when I get lazy and I feel like quitting and I feel like, ah, can we delay it? Can I, can I get distracted and do something else? You're kind of fighting that inner resistance inside of you, which suddenly that same stupid paper became an occasion to work on myself, to become stronger than who I was five minutes before. And, and how has martial arts supercharged your quest to, to become the hero within your soul? Well, one of the things I love about the martial art game is that is uh, is not just an intellectual pursuit where you are imagining these qualities, you are trying to embody them, but it's still very somewhat in your head, there is an element there where your body will experience it before even your mind does. And then your body will affect your mind. You know, there are days where I just feel this heavy pressure. I feel crappy about myself. I'm not in a good mood. All I want to do is just dive headfirst into the most fattening vat of ice cream ever created and never be heard from again. And instead, somehow, I managed to get myself on the mat or in the ring and the physical intensity of the training will snap me back in the present moment. All my other excuses, issues, snagging stuff, that, that will all disappear in the background because I need to be 100% present in the here and now. And I have to give my best, whether I feel like it or not. Because if I don't, I'm going to get my nose smashed by somebody trying to punch it away. That experience is powerful, you know, that will, that will affect the, your ability to be present at will when you want. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that you raise this point in the book that even with martial arts, there is that temptation to stay within your head, right? Where you see this on the internet, where these debates about which martial arts is the best martial arts, and you have these ethereal arguments about, well... We got this technique, and this is you know the ground game is good in this one. This is better for real life, but uh, you have to get you actually have to start doing it to actually see the experience the results. Absolutely, because I mean combat sports are no reality by definition. It's a simulated. I mean the violence is real enough, but it's within the rules, it's within boundaries, it's within all of that. Clearly, that's not reality because there is no substitute for reality. There is no way to mimic reality exactly. So you can only approximate it. The advantage that combat sports have is that within the limits of the game, within the rules, you can test things out. There's nothing choreographed about it. The other guy is trying to take you down, and you have to do what you can to reverse him. The other guy is trying to punch your head off, and you have to sleep and hit him, you know? There's an immediate feedback that keeps things real. It prevents you from going into fantasy land where you think you are the greatest fighter ever. Those kind of illusions tend to exist mainly in martial arts where you don't get to test it because you don't spar. 
once you spar, once you experience a more combat sport driven aspect of it, it's a lot harder to keep thinking you are this amazing thing where reality sometimes shows you that, yeah, you're pretty good, but hey, let's keep it, you know, you also just got hit by this guy you shouldn't have. You also made this one, you know, it keeps you, it keeps you with your feet on the ground that way. Right. So uh, in your latest book, Not Afraid, um, you share one of the most heartbreaking things that can happen to a man. Um, your wife died. Um, you were left caring for your all's newborn baby girl. And you were at a point where you were struggling with your career um, as a professor. Um, can you share a bit about that experience? Yeah, I mean, that was a time was end of 2010, early 2011. The whole thing was super quick. You know, my wife started um, showing some symptoms that were mildly concerning, but nothing too big. You know, she had these pains that wouldn't go away in her shoulders, in her neck. Eh, big deal. We all do once in a while. And then a month later, it started spreading to her leg. And you're like, okay, that's a little weird because that shows more of a neurological kind of thing. Long story short, she ended up that what they thought was uh, multiple sclerosis wasn't. Turned out it was a brain tumor, completely inoperable, super aggressive and fast moving. And so from the very first symptom to the time when she died, it was like less than six months. So by early 2011, she died. By that time, my daughter was only 19 months old. So that's kind of heavy to... For her, you know, trying to suddenly her mom is gone and I'm the only one who can, who's there for her to try to make up for everything she has lost, try to make her, that, that was the weird thing is try to make her happy. You know, it wasn't enough that I'm changing diapers and taking care of business. I mean, sure, that's the first line of defense. But the other aspect is I need to put my own grief away. I need to put my own emotional bullshit away because I need to find a way to make this little girl happy to make her feel that life is still good. And so that, I would give myself 10 minutes a day to feel what I had to feel, to crash if I needed, but it was on a timer. You know, it's like, okay, your 10 minutes are up, now you need to go back to prepare food, change diapers, and wake her up with a smile, because that's really the only thing that, that you can do at this point. So, yeah, at the same time, everything else, you know, my career was in a bad spot. Like, everything happened all at once, where I was like, it became, after a while, it became almost like, you know, a tragedy is a tragedy, but two, three, or four in a row become almost comedy, where you're like, okay, what's next? You know, it's like, and in some way, the attitude, unless it completely crashes you, then the attitude is, you really stop sweating 99% of problems that normally would bother human beings, because you are dealing with such a magnitude that is like, I'm not going to be bothered by this little thing. I, I really don't care. I have other things on my plate. Yeah. It puts things in perspective. Um, I mean, so how did you talk about martial arts making you more resilient um, in the ring and that can carry over to other lives? Did, did that resilience you developed through martial art training carry over to helping you grieve through the death of your wife? Yeah, that was key. I mean, that was in terms of getting stuff handled and making sure that I wouldn't crash. That idea of, okay, things are clearly not going our way, but we're still here. You know, unless you're dead, you should still be fighting and keep going forward no matter what the odds are. That was certainly helpful. It was helpful afterwards, but also it was helpful during the, the last stages of my wife's life because even when we realize, yeah, there's not going to be a good outcome out of this, well, she's still alive and she still needs to, 
she still needs to feel good about something. So again, no matter what I'm feeling is I need to find a way to laugh with her, to make her feel good for the time she has. When No future, there's no, of course there's no future, but there's still a present, there's a right now. So how can I make the right now good, even if the ultimate outcome may not be good? And so that was something that certainly Martial art experience helped me for sure. You know, it was something that dealing with that kind of feeling of fighting on when everything is hopeless uh, was certainly good training for the bigger battle, which was in life, of course. Not so much. I mean, what you learn uh, on the mat or in the ring is just a good, uh, a good prerequisite to help you with some of these bigger things in life. Yeah. What, what was it like after? Because I'm sure it was just, I mean, this happened really fast. Um, you know, so fast, you probably didn't at the moment have a lot of time to process what was going on. And it wasn't until, you know, after she died that you were able to actually, I mean, that's when it, I think it hits a lot of couples, at least what I've read and talked to is that it's after, um, the person has died and you've done all the, the, the burial and the funeral things that it really hits you hard. Um, did you have that moment after your, the, the death of your wife where it just suddenly hit you that I'm my wife's gone and I have this whole new reality uh, that I have to face. I think I couldn't go there. I couldn't really, I mean, I, I thought I did. I thought I was dealing with it and addressing grief and everything else. I probably wasn't in the sense that I could not open a door that would uh, slow me down at a time when, emo you know, emotionally, if I open the door emotionally, it may crush me and I could not afford to get crushed at a time when my daughter was depending on me a hundred percent. So I think I kind of put it a little on the back burner. Like many people were looking at me like, Jesus, are you even human? Because I acted like, uh, I mean, yeah, I was sad, it sucked. But at the same time, I was just very trying to enjoy life in the middle of all of that, trying to find things to laugh about, trying to keep going. I was charged with this energy where I felt this thirst for life, where I wanted everything and I wanted it now kind of thing. And... There's something good about it because it kept me from wallowing in my own self-pity and just staring at my own navel, complaining about the injustices of the universe. But at the same time, there was something where I probably should have found a way to deal with the emotions a little better. Because what happened is that whether I realized it or not, I certainly was repressing them some in favor of, hey, I need to be here for my daughter, which, yeah, sure, it's a good reason, but not dealing with emotions at the same time is not necessarily the best thing because it completely came to bite me back in the ass later when I realized my body started breaking down and that was stress. That was just emotions that I wasn't processing. So I spent years with these old psychosomatic illnesses that were just breaking me down. Eventually, when I started try to process more everything that happened to me, I slowly started climbing out of it. So that's probably the last year or two is where I feel like I'm me again. You know, I got my body back. I feel healthy again. I feel in a better mental space. But it took a while because I think my initial approach was so, okay, I can't let this stop me that I, I repress emotions too much. And repress emotions always find a way to get back at you. Right. And so I imagine martial arts played a role in that, you know, getting you out of that funk 
Yeah, even though there was a period really for a few years where it was really hard to train because every time I stepped up, I would break within a month because, uh, again, too much stress. My body was too vulnerable because of all the emotions. So I would go back to what used to make me happy and feel good. And within four, five, six training sessions, I would be injured again and I'm out for three months. And then I do it again. And it kept happening to the point where I was like, okay, I think I need to deal with my emotions first before I can actually go back to this. And that's why the last couple of years where I've been able to train again has been just a new lease of life. You know, suddenly I feel like, ah, I know this. This is, this is rea- the reality I know and love again. I couldn't have it for a while. Those were the times where my, my mental self was not at its best, for sure. When I finally was able to get back on the mat on a regular basis, I started feeling so much better. And, and how old is your daughter now? Uh, she's seven. And, I mean, what's it been like? I mean, are you, are you still single? Um, are you just, have you been raising her on your own? Um, I've, had the, I've had help because um, my mom lives in the U.S. and she has helped me a little, for sure. Um, I've had... Um, no, I have had a girlfriend for the last few years, and she's awesome. She's great with my daughter. She's great with me. She's really kind of almost freakish how good she is to all of us. And it's uh, so, no, I definitely, while I certainly have done a lot on my own, particularly at the beginning, the beginning was pretty much me alone. But after that, I certainly received a whole lot of help. Right. And have you gotten your daughter involved in martial arts? Um, just playing with it a little. I want her to have fun with it. So I don't want her to push her unless she wants it. I want her to kind of taste it a little bit. We play around a little. I'll have her try combinations. But I think, you know, I'll take her to classes. I'm not in a hurry in the sense that I want it to be something that she wants to do, that she loves more than, hey, we're going to martial arts and you're going to like it whether you like it or not. Because that's the way that then you're going to hate it forever, right? I think it's easier for her because she sees me getting so much out of it and being so happy. She sees uh, my girlfriend. She became a martial art freak because the last few years she trains. I mean, she just started fighting professionally in MMA. She's really insanely skilled and so, you know, she's around it all the time. She sees it in, uh, my daughter sees it in me, my girlfriend. So I'm sure at some point that desire is going to move from, oh, let's play for five minutes into something a little more. Um, I, I, I'm kind of, that's how I'm approaching it. I don't want to push her too hard for fear that then it's going to turn her off from making it a lifelong thing. So, I mean, there's guys listening to the show and they're thinking, Man, I want to. I want to experience what Daniel's experienced from martial arts. That resilience, that sense of confidence, that comes from it. That it's that quiet confidence that comes with uh, martial arts. Is is there any particular one you recommend? I mean, do you recommend like combat martial arts, like mar- mixed martial arts type of stuff? I think combat sports are a great way to to get into the game. There are a million different arts that are. I mean, I love really, I like pretty much all martial arts. But as far as combat sports go, I think. Judo and Jiu-Jitsu or wrestling, all of those, the grappling ones are awesome because you don't take as much damage to your head compared to when you do striking. Striking arts are great. You know, I like boxing, Thai boxing, all of it. The problem is there's always fine line in terms of sparring because you want to spar hard enough that it's realistic, but not so hard that you take, you know, there are only so many brain cells you have and you don't want to start weeding them out through hard sparring too often. 
So that I find a little harder to get into just because you have to always hold back to some degree. Whereas uh, judo, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, I mean, as long as you're not reckless, you are going to, any damage you take is um, to the limbs, not to your brain. So that's pretty important difference. So you can train usually a little harder, holding back a little less. And I, uh, I find that quite appealing. That's why, I mean, I've done all the striking arts a lot for quite a few years. These days I enjoy mainly grappling because I find it uh, more, you know, there are only so many times in life you want to get punched in the head. Right. Um, so besides the books, you, you've got a podcast, The the Drunken Taoist. I mean, what if someone were to listen to that show, what kind of things could they expect? I mean, what do you explore on that, that show? So Drunken Taoist was the first one I started working on, and it's... Um, I do two types of episodes. I usually do two episodes a month. One is an interview, and interviews are with people from all walks of life. As long as I find a person interesting for one degree or another, then it's fair game. And the other episode is an in-studio one that I just do with my co-host where we chat. And it's really about, it it doesn't have a single theme, it's life. So we jump on from sports to relationships to philosophy to you name it and as long as it's life as long as there's intensity as long as there's passion then it interests me so that's how i've been handling the drunken taoist and then about a year and a half ago i started doing uh, another podcast called history on fire because um it kind of made sense you know i was already podcasting and i was and i teach history for a living so i was like how about i put two and two together so I started History on Fire with the same idea. I'm going to pick any story from history that I find fascinating because it's, it has an epic quality to it, and I'm just going to dive deep into them. So, so one day I'll be talking about uh, Theodore Roosevelt's life, and the next day I'm going to be going on the slave revolts in ancient Rome with Spartacus and stuff like that. And uh, I feel... I like the freedom to be able to jump from topic to topic. You know, I'll go really deep for one, two, three episodes on one topic, get that done, boom, I'm off to the next thing, whatever I feel, wherever I feel that there's enough passion that to make it a compelling narrative. Yeah, your, your series on Theodore Roosevelt is how I discovered you because one of your listeners said, hey, Art of Manliness, check this guy out. He's done some podcasts on Teddy Roosevelt. And I was like, that's my kind of guy. And that's, this is how that conversation happened. So we can thank Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Good old Teddy. I had so much fun doing the Teddy Roosevelt series. I started out thinking, oh, one episode about his life, one became two, two became three. There's just so much to the guy. And, um, and it was interesting for me to read because there's, there's a lot that I could relate to personally the combat sports stuff, all the him losing his wife and having a young girl, a young daughter when he was young, you know, all of those things. I was like, okay, that's a little familiar. I, I can deal with, with those dynamics. So it was uh, kind of therapeutic for me, actually, to read about these stories and dive deep into it. Well, fantastic. Daniel, where can people learn more about uh, your work? Um, the gods of Google will be good to you. So if you spell my name right, there's a Twitter. I have it's the first letter of my initial. So it's the letter D and then my last name, Bolelli. It's B-O-L-E-L-L-I. I have a public face, uh, a public page on Facebook, um, various websites, you know, danielebolelli.com. There's the one for History on Fire. There's uh, Drunken Taoist. But I think, you know, again, thanks to Google, if you find one, usually you, f- you find them all very quickly. Well, Daniel Bolelli, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Brad. This was fun. 
My guest today is Daniel Bolelli. He is the author of Not Afraid and On the Warrior's Path and some other books as well. He's also the host of the Drunken Taoist podcast as well as History on Fire podcast. You can check out his History on Fire podcast. It's great at historyonfirepodcast.com. Also find out more information about his work at daniellebolelli.com. That's uh, B-O-L-E-L-L-I.com uh, to find more information about his work. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash notafraid where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy this show and have got something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you take two minutes to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you listen on the podcast. Helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Mm-hmm.